0: Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. We
1: have five, five, six, seven, seven pounds of thrust, and it has cleared the tower. Prepare yourself for a world of science.
2: <laughs> Who says...
1: Good morning, everybody. Conley here with the Science Nights. in the Morning. We have a few nights assembled this morning. We have Dr. Thomas Schiller. We have Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji in the house. And we have a very special guest. I'm really excited for this episode because we have Amy Oxenham here, brewmaster extraordinaire. And I'm really excited to get into the science of beer. Now, before we uh, get into the show, I do want to... Uh, let folks know that this show is dedicated to someone very special that we lost recently, Harry from Harry's Tanaha. And, um, I think, uh, Thomas and Honorbon have a real quick fond memory kind of, uh, expressing how science nights even got conceived. What, what is that? Yeah. So, um, actually
3: the story goes back even before I was here. Yeah.
0: So Bonner. the idea was, uh, so Sean and, um, uh, uh i used to hang out along with crystal but most of the time it was just sean and i hanging out in harry's tanaha and then we used to talk about sciences and he used to talk about biology and i used to talk about astronomy and physics so it's just explaining stuff to each other and uh and an idea came about hey this is happening in tanaha and we are talking about science over uh beers and stuff so why just not make a podcast out of it and then slowly the idea never went away and then thomas came in uh five six months later because he's joined sul ross (laughs) he wasn't there then so he's joined sul ross So some we get thomas into the idea of having uh this podcast and then um and then there then we found out about conley so and then and there it is so, it's all Harry conceived in in Harry's, Harry's Tanaha. Yes, all conceived in Harry's Tanaha. That's awesome. and, and bringing it back to the thing. And um, Amy is the brewmaster. You didn't mention of where, of what? Brick Vault. Brick Vault.
2: Yes, I am the head brewer at the Brick Vault Brewery and Barbecue in beautiful downtown Marathon, Texas. And I love
1: that area because uh, I mean they have awesome barbecue. I mean, when yeah. when when our viewers because we have viewers from all across the globe, we have people from yeah. the Netherlands. Uh, viewers, yeah. Well, they're viewing with their ears, right, Otterbon? Uh, but no, yeah, listeners uh, from all across the globe. Uh, we have a few um from India and and the Netherlands, and all of them when they think Texas, they think barbecue, and then. What goes better with barbecue than a good, nice, cold, like, just hopsy kind of brew that'll just completely stimulate your different taste buds? So go ahead and uh, tell us a little about yourself and uh, why you got into brewing.
2: Uh, Yeah, my name is Amy Oxenham. Um, I'm the brewer for the Brick Vault. And I guess I started brewing um, actually in Alpine. So I was mentored by Steve Anderson who was the founding brewer for Big Bend Brewing Company. Um, I brewed for them for a few years. I also completed a certificate in brewing science with the Siebel Institute of Technology in Chicago. That's America's oldest brewing school. That was also Steve's alma mater. Um, I also completed a biology degree with Saul Ross, which is how I know some of these fine folks. Um, And right now I'm currently working on a master's degree in brewing science and operations with Auburn University. Um, so it was a rather circuitous route. I definitely had years of hands-on experience before I had that academic experience. And I'm incredibly grateful that that's the way that it went by, by the time I sat in a classroom, I was already familiar with, you know, observing certain phenomena or, you know, already practicing. Um, so yeah, it's been a crazy ride and I love it. I, I couldn't think of a better career. And the fact that I get to do it out here is just even better. So.
1: Yeah, that's really cool because I mean, you love science and like we all love beer, right? Yep, In and fact, science. Let's go ahead and take a, a toast. To here. <laughs> yeah, yeah cheers. Delicious- toast. <laughs> cheers.
3: Cheers. We are recording this cheers. at a later
0: time. This is not happening at ten a.m. Yeah, this
1: isn't a- Still.
0: More like eight a.m. <laughs> no, so, um, uh, Amy, if I remember correctly, this is even like. You knew me as a faculty. I was there at the Big Bend, uh, the brewing thing. And, uh, um, and you used to give the those uh, tours, right? Yes, to I used to. And you used to have your... Uh, eldest uh, kid with you while giving the talk. That was amazing to me that you're handling the kid along while giving the, tour, like she was giving the tours to us it was really, really uh, kind of fun. And she was really knowledgeable. And like when we wanted somebody to talk about the science of brewing, because uh, uh, beer uh, as a whole is, it's kind of has very science component of science. We thought like Amy would be the best person to have. Oh, have our guest.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I had forgotten about that. But yeah. that. And that was before even finishing a biology. degree. Yes. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Just Sort of having that passion for fermentation and being obsessive about that food practice in general, um, I think kind of made me a good mentee for yeah. Steve at the time. Um, so he totally took me under his wing and showed me everything. And yeah, it was it was a great experience.
1: So that's awesome because, uh, you know, Richard Feynman, the great physicist, uh, always said uh, all life is fermentation Mm -hmm. and you can find a universe in a glass of wine or beer.
2: Absolutely uh, true. And fermentation is the one food practice that across the globe, regardless of of geography and uh, time all people have arrived at this process. And part of that is because it it happens spontaneously and it happens naturally. Um, But fermented food products are some of the most important food products that that hold the most sort of cultural significance. Um, And I guess kind of that's a pun because they're literally (laughs) culturally significant. (laughs) Beer
3: goes back like 7,000 years, right? It's
2: More. Yeah, there's there's evidence beyond like the Neolithic Mm -hmm. time for robust beer and fermentation practices. It would have been a very different animal, like drinking beer in the Stone Age. But um, yeah, it probably would have been more like a slurry, chunky, wild, sour sort of experience. Yeah. Yeah, But (laughs) I've always
3: wondered that whenever whenever I beer and chocolate and coffee. Fermented. Yeah, those are all three things yeah. where I always wonder who was the first person who thought, "Okay, I'm s- got this rotten slurry of stuff. I'm going to try to drink it and see what happens." Yeah. Um, obviously, after drinking it, they probably discovered this is kind of good.
2: Pretty awesome. Um,
3: yeah, and it would it would purify water too. So absolutely carries a big sort of cultural. Importance in that sense,
0: and yeah, and also like we also have to remember the Scandinavian people. They took out this piece of fish, and they thought, "How can we eat this fish? Out? Fish? Mm-hmm. It's a fresh fish. So let us first ferment this fish in a vat of lye, and then make
2: <laughs> and <laughs> I that, can that, understand that,
0: beer." But that's a little.
2: That fermentation fit. process <laughs> yeah. too actually makes nutrients more bioavailable. There are even some food products that are even lightly toxic before they're fermented. The fact that we have all arrived at fermentation as a cultural practice is so fascinating to me. And the world of fermented foods is is just incredible. It's It's an incredible exploration. And I do feel honored to be a part of this. Like I tell my daughters all the time, like your mom practices the world's oldest profession uh, because I do <laughs> be feel <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> that, it's <still>
1: able, <laughs> what
3: that is.
2: I do feel honored to be a part of this human tradition that stretches before we even had written language. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking like more than 10,000 years like of, of practicing uh, beer and fermentation. So oh, it yeah, does. It sure. does have this sort of awesome sort of feeling of like standing hand in hand with practitioners of.
1: Oh yeah, well that's great. That's awesome. And how many people do you think had to die before we got <laughs> to where we're at? Like, because that's part of evolution, right?
3: I like, think, I think sure. much
1: fewer people died
3: after beer was invented. I want to say
2: that's true. Okay, <laughs> so here's something fascinating about <laughs> yeah. beer too: is that pathogens don't actually live in beer because what's happening in beer is you have this huge colony of yeast and now we're like hand selecting that those exact species of yeast, but before it would have been a colony of bacteria and yeast, for instance, right? And it's sort of patrolling its own environment in a way, and it's safeguarding it against human pathogens like E. coli, salmonella, stuff like that. And so when you had water that was literally unsafe, most likely because of contaminants like E. coli, E. coli can't thrive in that same environment. Like that yeast is is taking care as far as cleaning that up you know um we get most of our modern antibiotics for instance derived from yeast as well you know Mm. they're incredibly powerful and yeah they made things a lot safer to drink for a long time you know men women children drank beer for the majority of history so anytime you reflect on you know a moment in history just remember like you know they were probably a little bit buzzed when they did yeah. things like wrote the Constitution or <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm all sure. that? <laughs> it, it really
1: is kind of part of our culture. Yeah,
3: and I, I know specifically um, my people, being a Schiller, have a rich history in in, in the in Jews, America. German. Well, oh, German, okay, yeah, right. P- possibly Jewish. But um, uh, my family actually came from Germania to uh, what's now Czech Republic to Bohemia, which is like the nexus of modern beer absolutely basically. yeah um so all the the delicious yellow beery beers that you drink originated in that region basically oh. mm-hmm. um so- and i i plenty of my family members enjoy beer including me wow. some some a little more than others
0: so before we get into the science of brewing and all those things and uh, let, let's first uh, i want to get to the starting point of beer right like an uh so the first thing in the history is like I in my naive mind, I would assume beer and wine right would have started out as the same kind of like because beer comes from barley and all those, and the wine comes from fermented. Grape juice, like fruit juice, right? So I'm assuming um, those two kind of had a hand in hand in evolution, like of that, or just is or has it been proven? My question: Beer came first, wine came second, or something like that.
2: Right. There was beyond that even there was sort of a bread and beer debate Mm -hmm. as far as like what helped human beings step into like an agricultural lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are postulating that it's actually beer because bread Beer
3: came before bread maybe? Yes, wow. because
2: bread does not happen spontaneously. Whereas mm-hmm. beer could if you have a grain water and wild yeasts you have beer and so that could presumably happen spontaneously and and there are theories that that is what actually moved us into an agricultural lifestyle so beer is literally the cornerstone of civilization. Yeah,
0: that, that's what I would figure. Like beer, and on this, on other side, because, like for example, India and China doesn't really have a whole lot of beer, but they have the wine thing going on. So I would assume like those cultures came along as like, oh, we have this rice, and we have confirm if you ferment rice into water, okay. you get sake, and the and and if you take for uh, like have a grape juice, and if you let it, let it stay uh, over, then it becomes a little bit. Uh, has an alcohol and uh, and one people one of the things is very interesting to note. I don't, I don't know how is this common here in the United States or in Western world. Is like uh, bears are known to get drunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, there are yeah. definite
2: animals that yeah. have like sort of alcohol seeking behavior. Yeah, yeah.
0: bears <laughs> absolutely. are absolutely yeah trees. Birds, yeah, bears, like yeah in trees oh, in, in in India <laughs> it, there are certain. Places in India, there's a tree. Tree goes, and it has a, uh, uh, it's called mahua, and the fruits and everything carry a high alcohol or opiate content or something like that. And the bear seeks that tree out, gets kind of like high on that, and passes out. So it's very well known behavior for bears. Is to that why they
1: hibernate? Like for no, so no, no, no. This is totally <laughs> They're different. They're just like wasted. Like <laughs> they wasted. Like
0: yeah. You know. So I think. That has also, I bet the human beings have come across animals getting wasted. Yes, definitely. Yeah,
2: there's been a couple of times where I've read in the news that, like, there's sort of an epidemic of maybe birds who are wasted and releasing havoc on, like, running into traffic and stuff like that. So, (laughs) I mean, like, a lot of animals have evolved to, you know, have receptors in their brain to have these sort of experiences Mm -hmm. with substances, Substances. you know?
0: (laughs) So what was the first definitive evidence, do you think, was that in uh, history that we have the mention of beer? The yeah, first? that's
2: a moving target. Even in the time that I've been brewing, um, I mean, that has moved further and further and further back. Like, we're literally talking, like, the the Neolithic age of we wow. were able to, we're, we've been finding evidence of, of brewing, Yeah. Well, there's so, like
3: a, like Sumerian recipes.
2: Yes, right? exactly. Going all the way back to Sumeria. Some of the oldest recipes. Some I'm of the Robert first. Lachern. Some of the first things that we even bothered to write down were beer recipes and how to govern beer. Yeah. It's it really has been so integral to how society and culture has developed. Um, beer even used to be like a way of of taxation too, um, in like Sumeria and. Uh, Egypt and all over the world, you know, because it was how everyone had to consume beer. And so what better yeah. way to tax people than, you know, get your hands in the beer. Yeah. That's still in practice today. Like, don't get me wrong. Like uh, we're still being taxed every...
1: at <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every,
3: direction.
2: but that's
1: okay. Now uh, a question I have, we have about four minutes left before our first break um, has beer always been as strong as it is now today or have we like are we building our tolerance because because i know people that are avid you know drinkers it takes a little bit more for them to get the same effect right they build a tolerance and i'm wondering evolutionary wise like if we like way back when we first started to start brewing this if chemically wise it was the same type of consistency that it would be now? Is it stronger? Is it weaker? Like, what, yeah, if, what if we had a time machine, went back in time, and got one of the first beers?
2: Sure. Well, it would have been chunky. <laughs> it probably would have been sour. you were relying on, like, wild microorganisms as well. Um, but uh, in, in relation to your question, it definitely would have been lighter. We would have been talking... Between like two and three percent ABV, and mm-hmm. I think that were there is actually a return to that trend mm-hmm. of intentionally producing lighter beers. Um, people are more interested in, in drinking lighter beers. I've just seen that on the retail side of the different beer businesses that I've been involved in. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be one of the high, the biggest questions that I got. Um, at Big Bend was uh, what's your highest ABV and what's your lightest beer. Typically they're not the same, but mm-hmm. now I think people are looking for, you know, the smashable uh, lower ABV beers, oh. which I think is great. Yeah. We're returning yeah. to beer flavored mm-hmm. um, cool. beer. Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> well, that,
1: well that's, that's cool. That's cool. And that's very interesting too, because it makes me think that some word, where, where this, invention really or this discovery that we you know came upon Mm -hmm. uh the creation of beer uh affects different people from that region differently because you know a beer that you get from like germany would probably be different than beer you get from ireland right
2: yeah definitely a a two liter beer that you get in germany you're probably going to uh, it's probably clocking in under four percent abv yeah yeah
1: and that's why they have in those giant huge yeah boots <laughs> yeah they yeah, yeah. the boot gotta turn the thing in the end and, <laughs> and uh,
3: I, I believe in czech republic they drink more consume more beer than actual water so people in the streets will walk around with big yeah. things of beer instead of and you've been you've been to czech yeah republic, uh, yeah, yeah so you can attest
0: yeah to that. i've seen like kids in like high after high school like graduation kind of thing that's the ritual like they will go out to spend night like just drink and which is very strange when i was there it was not rowdy it was just like kids just sitting in playground at like nighttime eight nine o'clock just chilling out drinking beer it's mostly because uh the drinking part of it's not like said oh so they are doing a bad thing or look down upon or something like they're not like there was barely like, if you, less noise than kids in a playground. It's like just, a, they're relaxed and they're having fun because something major has been achieved. So just drinking beer. And and these are like, I mean, yeah, I'm think they're 17, 18. I'm saying they're kids, but. In my mind, they're kids.
2: Oh, sure. And that kind of speaks to, like, culturally what we put on alcohol alcohol in general. Yeah, Yeah.
0: One thing I was going to say, the difference is, like, I've had this mentioned many times, and you will know this better, that European beers or uh, UK beers are typically uh, the alcohol percentage is lower compared yes. to American beer, which is, uh, I did not know that, which is very mm-hmm. strange to hear. Uh, people, uh, British people, and they're like, the beers here are strong. They're, it's not that you can just chug them like in uh, Europe and something. You can just chug a beer and you drink beer just like normally. Well, I, was, yeah. I was telling
3: Amy before we started recording, um, when I lived in Lubbock, they had a great selection of, of what I call fancy beers. And um there's certain styles that are just insane. I think at a certain point if, if you're gonna if you're gonna sell it, you have to start calling it like a barley wine or something right. once you reach a certain A B V. If you
2: get above 13%, thirteen percent you get into a different tax arena. Okay, yeah. so
3: they have to call it something else, but man, I had some like bourbon barrel aged beers that would hit me
1: like drinking straight <laughs> bourbon.
3: Yeah, They're good delicious, night. but yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: well... Wow. Well, okay. uh, we're about to go into a, our first commercial break, but after the break, I'd like to uh, talk about where it all started. It starts with the seed, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and then it also starts with uh, growth.
3: We're going right? to go
2: through all the steps. No, yeah, I it's going to be wait. great. It's <laughs> going to be great. We'll see you right after the break. Cheers.
3: All right, we're back. We're the science nights. And uh, if you give me a second, I'm going to take a quick swig off this delicious beer. Mmm. We're here with Amy Oxenham from Brick Vault Brewing, and uh, we're sampling one of her delicious brews. Um, what's what's this one called? Does it have a name?
2: This one's called Blue Quail Pale Ale. Blue Quail Pale yeah, Ale. Yeah, I always is like delicious. to give a nod to the local things going on. So <laughs>
3: yeah, Blue Quail Pale Ale. Um, do y'all have it at Brick Vault
2: right now? On we tap? do. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so go
3: go check it out because it is it is delicious. Um, so my question is, as we sip this delicious beverage. Um, where do you start making something so pure and, and glorious? Like general process of starting. The process of starting, starting. It from sure. seed to, to stein.
2: Yeah, so that process actually starts before it even gets to me. So barley is an incredible grain. It's been chosen as sort of the default, not chosen really, it's sort of proven itself over time as the default brewing grain. And that's because of the enzyme content. So... It has all these great sugars, um, but it also has the enzymes that are able to cleave those sugars into smaller sugars um, to actually be digestible by yeast. And that actually starts with the malting process, which is its own uh, art form. Absolutely. there. And are- briefly, what is the malting process? like? Sure. Malting is another fermentation process, um, but pretty much it's tricking the barley seed. Once you've harvested the barley seed, you're going to trick it into germinating. And um, the different layers within that seed are going to start producing enzymes, essentially to begin digesting those carbohydrates and starches inside of that seed Um, that should be used for fuel to grow a plant, but the maltsters will actually stop that process. And then they'll go on to roast and kiln the malts to varying degrees. um, And then that's when I get the malt. So, Yeah, so
1: um, real quick. uh, So when we're talking about the seed, right, uh, we have an episode all about GMOs, right? Uh, Is this seed like basically do we get the chance to – find the perfect seed that has evolved throughout the years. This is
2: the crazy thing is that we've actively been, you know, selecting for preferred grasses if you will uh-huh. for so long that barley mm-hmm. is not GMO. We don't even need to oh, really? we don't even need to get in there and mess with the genes anymore because it's been so selected for. This is a process that is thousands of years old. There's more research and money that has been pumped into beer research essentially mm-hmm. than I would
0: I mean, that is basically GMO done the old style. The old way, That's yeah. Tens of thousands of <laughs> years. Yes.
2: So
1: essentially is a gift from God, right? Literally, like, I mean. God and Harry and all of our friends <laughs> up there that we've lost yes, in the past are yes. toasting yeah. to us. Down here because it's all part of the the whole scheme. It really
2: is quite incredible how perfectly built barley is for brewing. Yeah. Um, so I actually brought some samples of right. different barley's because I think that beer, like anything, if you when you taste the components of it, the ingredients of it, you can develop like a better appreciation for what's going on there. Um, so we're going to start with like some light ones, and if, I totally encourage you guys to taste it.
1: Yeah. Oh,
3: okay. we, oh, for the yes, listeners here, we've, we've got a whole portfolio of, of different barley's that are of different. B- before different I shades even of brown.
0: Uh, taste it or something, the question that I had in mind, like this barley that I'm holding, the, the different barley's you have, right? That I'm holding, that you're showing us, is like I can this barley I can eat it too, right? All oh yeah, barley, absolutely. The, the, yeah. So there's no distinction at all, like the barley. Well, it's a used, cereal. It's
2: like a grain. Yes, it's yeah, a cereal exactly. grain. Yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. No, that,
0: that, because like some people uh like you have certain varieties that you don't eat and certain varieties that you eat i was just wondering right. like uh, like you have foods like that right the, so the yeah. barley
2: that's going to yeah. make it into a brewer's hand is food grade barley there is feed grade barley but mm. typically that's based on the kernel size mm. so brewers want nice plump grains with the large endosperm that's going to make a lot of starches and thus sugars available um so this has already been selected for food grade Um, and I brought a bunch of different varieties because I think that it's interesting to not only taste but to like visualize the different degrees of of like roasting strange
0: because I never knew you could just eat barley like this it it is very interesting (laughs) it's
2: It's incredibly nutritious too yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it it really is and it's very nutty is a very earthy flavor. Well, that first one we tried was a was an IPA or what? The
3: you The first one real? was a
2: pale ale malt. So that that barley mm-hmm. that we first tried would be the base grain for this beer that we're drinking as well. So as you can see, mm-hmm. it results in a, a nice light golden color. Mm-hmm um we've moved on to honey malt that one has been kilned to a greater degree so it has a kind of tanginess almost i would say and this one will taste the, the next like one the chocolate. yeah the next one that we're trying is actually chocolate malt so that one has been kilned to a much greater degree um and a lot of chocolate malts are even like drum roasted so it's very 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 similar to the coffee roasting process We have, if we want to dig into the science of that a little bit, you have the Maillard reaction that's taken place and contributing a lot of flavors. Um, What
0: is Maillard reaction for? Yeah, so
2: the Maillard reaction is, um, it's the same exact reaction that happens when you like grill a steak. So... It's, there's a little bit of caramelization of sugars happening there, but there's also a lot of proteins that are being changed by the heat reaction. Mm-hmm. So proteins are being sort of unfolded and denatured through that heating process, um, but it's also giving you some very roasty notes and flavors.
1: Wow. And they're yeah. so different.
2: They're very different, yeah.
1: How are they molecularly? Are they similar?
2: So... Something that's been roasted longer is going to have a lot less um, even to no uh, enzymatic potential left in Mm -hmm. it because enzymes are proteins. And so the more something is exposed to heat, the less enzyme potential it has. Mm, So uh, something like that, like the chocolate malt, I'm going to use a very small percentage. So I'm still going to it's it's a lot like making bread um, is what I compare it to. You're going to have like a base sort of flour or barley in this case that you're going to use. Mm-hmm. And then we'll come in with the different um, grains or different malts that have been roasted to varying degrees. So that chocolate malt, for instance, I would only use, you know, five to 10% of the entire grain bill of that particular malt. Wow. So, yeah. And then I'm, I'm relying, I'm sort of piggybacking on the, the very active enzymes in that base malt to do the heavy lifting as far as like the conversion that's happening in the actual brew house. So. so
1: they all, there's a waltz here. Like everything has to kind of it's beautiful, it's a delicate kind of waltz. And I love it. Has to beautifully work in concert with each other. It's amazing. In order to. <laughs> give you yeah. the ability to ask uh, that person out or, or, like, <laughs> right? or, or the ability to uh, Absolutely. You know, go up there and sing the best <laughs> karaoke things, baby right?
2: <laughs>
0: so I'm going to uh, start asking very straightforward like very stupid questions
2: lay it on me <laughs> can
0: you mix two bar- uh, strains of barley like you made a uh, you gave us like honey one yeah. and the plain one the, for the pale ale and stuff can you mix them up
2: yes and that's a great segue on a yeah. um, because you can actually mix up different types of grains, so I brought with me some other brewing grains. So you're still relying on that that base malt. This
0: is labeled as wheat. This is
2: wheat. So if you notice the very first difference, wheat is actually a naked grain, so um, there is no husk Mm -hmm. on the outside of this grain. Mm -hmm. And this, um, I'll use, I typically don't use more than 50% um, in any particular brew, um, so I'll, I'll still be relying on that that barley enzymatic power, um, but then I'll be mixing wheat in um, for flavor, head retention. I mean, like we've all had wheat beers. They're markedly different from all barley beers. So it's contributing a lot flavor-wise as well. Um, so, yeah, you can absolutely mix... All sorts of grains. I'm
0: assuming there are also people who are using different strains of wheat, just like different types of barley. Absolutely, yeah. And there's
2: a big push to kind of bring back some like historical, uh, you know, grains that maybe have been forgotten along the way. So old styles of, of wheats. Typically what you see with those older styles is they have a higher protein content and typically for protein to increase, um, carbohydrates or sugar potential decreases, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so we've moved away from those grains, um, because they're harder to ferment, but now with such well modified barley, um, you can be mixing those grains in and still be getting the same results or great results from
0: so we have barley and uh, and wheat now. So what about uh, things like um, the grains, like millet or, uh, yeah, or corn and stuff like that?
2: Millet, corn, yeah. sorghum. Sorghum is actually mm-hmm. the the biggest grain that is used, like production wise, uh, in the entire continent of Africa. Uh, mm-hmm. their beer production. They're actually um, some of the only countries that don't uh, rely on barley. They're mm-hmm. using sorghum, which. Includes a whole other host of, uh, you know, procedures as far as, like, adding different types of fungal-derived mm. enzymes and stuff. Um, yeah, it's really—enzymes, man! <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> so, so beer can really be—it's not necessarily just, just barley, water, and hops. It can be— no. So yeah. it, it, for, for all the different varieties of beer, uh, whether it be uh, uh, rye or <laughs> barley, is the common denominator hops— because, I mean, you, you, you make, you make bourbon question. with corn, you make yeah. rye whiskey with rye. Um, I understand that that's distilled, but right? do you start out with like the. You still the mash? start out
2: with a mash, and distillers actually call it beer too okay. before okay. it becomes distilled. Um, it's the exact same process. Um, you know, I think what the common denominator of like what is beer is a cereal grain that has been fermented. Um, And I think that it's interesting how different cultures have approached um, activating that enzyme activity, right? So if you have um, like sake, for instance, is made from rice, but then they also use fungal enzymes to ferment that rice, because that rice is not the complete package as far as the enzymatic profile goes, because they're full of carbohydrates. They're full of starches, but starches, Yeast is a a single cellular organism, right? It's in the, it's in the fungus family or kingdom. Um, and so it literally needs like smaller molecules to actually be transported into the interior of that cell. So if you can't cleave those starches apart into smaller sugars, then they can't actually go through fermentation. They're Mm non-fermentable. And so corn or rice rather like in sake uh, for example, is being fermented with other outside fungal enzymes um, there 's a really lovely example of a a South, South and Central American beverage called chicha, which is actually chewed by people it, yeah. and then spit uh-huh. and I love that people can chew and spit into a common vessel, and then fermentation makes that an essentially like sterile product for people to wow. drink like that 's yeah. incredible to me so in that case, they're relying on the enzymes in your saliva, saliva. to start cleaving those starches apart into Digesting. smaller yeah. sugars. Yeah. yeah, that is crazy. It's really crazy. And so that's what, when I get the malt in the brewery, um, I'll create a mash out of it. And essentially it's just a porridge. But my entire goal during that mashing process is to make sure that I'm within scope for certain um. Enzyme temperatures, because enzymes are proteins and they can be denatured or unfolded through heating. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll I'll leave the mash at certain temperatures where, you know, like proteases, for example, are more active and then I'll raise it to where amylases are more active or glucanases and so on based on what type of beer I'm making. So if I want more non-fermentable sugars, I'll mash in in a certain way. And then I'll end up with a beer that has, you can actually feel that sugar in your mouth at the end of it, like dark beers, they're literally thicker. Um, And that's because that brewer has taken care to not turn all of those sugars into fermentable sugars. Mm. So they're leaving some carbohydrates in the wort is what we call it it's the sugar water that we get out of brewing it's w-o-r-t um and so they're taking care to make sure that those carbohydrates are left in that wort um
1: right yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it's
3: a lot of chemistry. It's a lot lot of chemistry.
2: I could talk forever about this. I I love love this stuff. I love
1: it. You're blowing my mind just thinking, like, you're bringing new definitions to things. I'm thinking differently about how I appreciate your beer a lot more.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's really cool that we actually haven't been able to, like, see any of this happening. So this is, like, a prehistoric process in a lot of ways. It's largely unchanged for how we've been doing it for at least a few thousand years. Years. Yeah. And if you think about it, we've only even been able to visualize microbes for the last, like, less than 200 years. Yeah. So it was like literal magic to most magic. brewers yeah. throughout all history, you know. And I think that that's really amazing. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> and um, they, they have mead, right? They, 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 yeah. they have the big thick. I mean, it's so frothy. Flagons of mead. What, what, is mead and beer similar? Are they like related? Yeah,
2: they're fermented. So, okay. and again, it's the, it's the enzymes in that bee saliva that is making those carbohydrates available for fermentation. So oh. there's, there's a, a lot of people who sort of postulate that maybe that's where things started, that mead was sort of, oh. you know, because you have bees, uh, you know, building their homes inside of logs like hollow right. logs so it would be probably pretty easy to come upon some fermented honey you know mm. uh, which smells amazing too and I guess as hunters and gatherers that's typically what we would have been relying on is like our sense of smell so mead probably would have been a really delectable uh you know prehistoric <laughs> oh
3: yeah for sure for sure so so we're, we're at the mash stage sure let's okay. let do we jump into hops now
2: we're almost there (laughs) we're almost to hops so okay so uh i'll make a big mash which is sort of the consistency of oatmeal um i'm relying on all of those different enzymes doing all that work that just that part of it takes a few hours of my day and then from Mm -hmm. there i'll begin drawing off that sugar water that i've made and that is called wort Mm -hmm. um and it's just a very slow and delicate process. Um, I don't want to, like, jam it through. Uh, I've taken a lot of time to sort of create the sugar profile in there that I want. Um, and also beer that is rushed is is cloudy beer. And, I mean, you know, yeah. I, work, <laughs> I work hard to make clear beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Mine's really clear. Yeah, mine's so, Hell it's yeah. almost like there's no beer <laughs> in there. There's that in there. is, And it is unfiltered. I just want to point that out. All of my beer is unfiltered. That wow. is just the, that is the, the product of my training and being trained by very classical brewers who are like, don't cool. put out hazy beer, make clear beer, make beer flavored um, beer. So... So yeah, yes. so now we've we've moved over into the boiling kettle, and we've collected all of our sweet wort, um, and then we'll begin to boil it. And what's happening during that boiling process is, again, we're taking more steps to make clear beer. We're also taking more steps to um, sanitize that product. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to boil it for 90 minutes. I do it a little longer than most brewers because we're at just high enough elevation mm-hmm. to like kind of start messing with the boiling process. Um, So I'll boil for 90 minutes. And what that's going to do is start to precipitate a lot of these proteins that are in solution at that time. They're going to be like coagulating together and you can begin to see them too. It almost looks like egg drop soup sort of material. Um, And that also is going to create a clearer beer because I'm getting that protein that could be potential haze. I'm getting it out of the beer. Um, And then that's when we're going to add the hops. So hops are appreciated for two different qualities one would be bitterness and the other would be aroma Um, so i've brought two different examples of hops Um, one is called belma and these hops here that we have before us they have been pelletized so these are what we would call a t90 pellet so it basically looks like rabbit food or something it's been Mm -hmm. pelletized in a very similar process um, so, if you guys want to. What does
1: hops look like um, in naturally wild. in the wild?
2: Yeah, so they look like this. Oh, um, <laughs> oh I've <like your laughs> got some earrings that have, yeah, hop flowers on them. Um, they're actually in uh, the same family as cannabis and hemp, so yeah. they have a very similar dank qualities. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, <laughs> cannabis and hemp. Big yeah. time.
2: So, I was going to say. Do you want to smell? I would not recommend eating the hobs, yeah. but go ahead oh, and no give it way. a whiff. You, it? <laughs> you can if you want, but its I mean, they're very bitter. Yeah. Oh, I'm a
1: bitter bitter man, they say. Get it's after pretty, it, man. People have been told <laughs> me to record this. Okay, I'm taking a nibble. It was like rabbit food.
2: It's so not have... for the faint of heart. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, it's bitter. I don't
1: like bitter. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that I would... Uh, I mean, at a vegan restaurant, I'd probably order it.
2: And then these hops. You don't
0: even eat anything, Island Steak. You're not even going to go into a vegan restaurant, (laughs) (laughs) Cully. So.
1: There you go. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. (laughs) I need (laughs) another.
2: These next hops are Zappa hops. So they're literally named after Frank Zappa. Oh, nice. Um, His family has a relationship with a hop farm, um, and they made a variety after him. So I think that's pretty awesome. That first example, the Belma, those are more bitter hops. Mm -hmm. The Zappa are more aroma uh, hops. And I feel like you can sort of smell the difference. These Mm -hmm. are a little more... Those
0: are kind of citrusy. Citrusy,
2: yes. So um, my
0: question is... so. Uh, you, we go from that, so we have first you create the mash, then you get the sugar water out of it, then you boil it. I'm really bringing, making it very short. Boil it, and as you're boiling, the protein is now coagulating, and then you're adding the hops at that point, and you stop boiling now, right? At that point, are so, you still going to boil? The
2: boiling and when I add the hops is another sort of tool in my toolkit as far as what's being contributed flavor or aroma wise. So, if I want bitterness, I'm going to add it much sooner in the boil, uh, meaning that it's going to be boiled much longer. So, I'm going to get, I'm going to leach all of those bittering compounds out, those alpha acids in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, And then if I wait towards the very end of the boil or even sometimes after the boil, what we would call flame out, um, and I'm adding hops that I want the aroma Mm -hmm. to last because those aroma compounds are incredibly volatile and I don't want them to be boiled away. So something that I want to do heavy lifting as far as aroma-wise, I'm going to put in much later. Is that
3: dry hopping is what that's called?
2: Or I'm going to add it during fermentation. Um, So when you're actually adding hops into the fermenter, as far as what we've talked about so far, we're just talking about hops in the boiling kettle, but hops actually going into the fermentation vessel, that's what you would call dry hopping.
0: And now we have hops, right? Mm -hmm. So my question is, if we go back like in ancient history, did hops come around the same time? did Did it come later? Because it seems like Do we need hops to ferment or can we do the fermentation process without hops?
2: That is a fantastic question. Um, And there's another, you're seeing another sort of trend that's happening as far as reaching back for historical styles. So we've only been using hops for the last 400 years or so. So there's a very robust history of not using hops. In fact, when we were talking earlier about like different municipalities like taxing people through beer, they actually used a gruit system. And so they would have sort of like a proprietary blend of, you know, a lot of times was secret. blend of herbs and spices <laughs> that they would distribute to any beer makers or ale makers. Um, and that is how they would determine like your tax responsibility because uh, it's correlated to how much beer you're producing. Mm. And so that like, if you can think of something, they've put it in beer, including yeah. a lot of really gross things <laughs> got into yeah. beer historically. Um, but Pretty much everything has gone into beer.
0: Okay, so hop is not necessarily, when beer started, was a component of beer. So it's, it's
2: relatively a, new. Yeah, yes. so
0: it's like four, three, 400 years, you said. So it's it's relatively new, and it took its time to spread and slowly. Okay, so that makes sense. So I'm assuming nowadays, as you say, going back to the older beers, people are trying to get without hops
2: right so you if you like nordic countries for example we're going back to those like heather and juniper mm. beer styles mm. um there's there's more people are digging in to see like what historical styles mm-hmm. um maybe have been around um
3: and- yeah one of the more interesting beers i've ever tried was a i think it was a dogfish head um, called King Midas. Yes. Are you familiar with that yes, one? Yes, I am. And that, one's, that one has grape and honey in it, I believe. But it's like an and ancient no recipe. Hops. No yeah. hops. And it was delicious. It tasted like beer, just a little kind of sweet and mm-hmm. and... Grapey, but. And
2: that, they literally got out of a tomb. Like, they found mm-hmm. that in vessels inside of a tomb and then analyzed it and made a recipe from it. See,
3: that's freaking cool.
0: So yeah, cool. cool.
3: There, there's, <laughs> beer, uh, there's a, I think it's a Montana brewery. I can't remember what they called because this was years ago that they did it. But um, um, a dinosaur bone beer, they put dinosaur bone in it, <laughs> which contributes nothing I to it. But yeah, it was but in
0: there. Yeah, but there, were, there was dinosaur bone in it. And uh, oh so, so now that you have added the hops, right, and the mm-hmm. boiling process is now done, now the next step is coming in. Now we start the fermentation.
2: Fermentation, baby.: All <laughs> right. So yeah.
0: so, uh, so now that we are going to start the ferment- fermentation, we have to ferment ourselves a lot <laughs> to get ready. But no, seriously, I'll, we will uh, talk about the fermentation and the yeast and everything at that after we come back from the break uh hello everybody so we are back and we are right now at the stage of fermenting the beer so amy now we have the beer uh that uh ready to go and we have we are adding the yeast to it now right that starts the fermentation process yes uh this yeast is it like The same yeast that I use for uh, making naan and all those kind of stuff, and or is it a different variety of yeast for a different type of beers? And what? what? Sure,
2: yeah, there are uh, like variations of that yeast, but by and large, you're going to be using the same yeast for baking and winemaking and beer making. So that's Saccharomyces cerevisiae.
0: Okay, same thing.
3: I like that species
0: name.
2: Right. I mean, there's (laughs) a lot. Yeah.
0: So then the fermentation starts
2: yes and how long so we're looking at anywhere from uh, four to seven days that's just a very active fermentation and so that is the yeast is doing a couple things the first thing is it's using all of the oxygen that's in the wort to actually reproduce um so yeast reproduces through budding it's um buds off of a single cell um and then it goes into metabolizing all of that sugar that you've made available for it um and then the two byproducts of that metabolic action are co2 and ethanol mm. so it's yeah, yeast yeah. yeast waste byproducts that make beer so delightful um
3: that's so the, not the fizzy bubbles and the, the alcohol And the alcohol yeah, yeah
2: exactly
0: uh, now that we have the yeast and the fermentation is done, we have the CO2, ethanol, and whatever other stuff, the flavors and stuff. Is that beer now?
2: It is technically beer, but it's going to smell a little different. It's going to taste a little different because at the seven-day mark, you still have what's commonly referred to as green beer. Okay. So there's some sort of bitterness that's contributed to, but from the yeast because it's still in suspension. Uh, that's not very pleasant. And so then the cellaring comes in, and that also takes a lot of finesse and time um, mostly time (laughs) um i'll have a couple of tools that i can use um including time and temperature and pressure that i can sort of nudge the yeast into behaving different ways um but most of the time it's you know brewers like to say we don't make beer we make wort and then we turn it over to microbes and they do the rest and so there is a little variation there um you know, they definitely don't behave like I might want them to all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. So um, you put it in
3: a dark place for a prolonged period of time and you wait for it to...
2: Yeah, and you're manipulating the the temperature throughout all of that because at a certain point, the yeast is surrounded by its own waste byproducts, and and so it's not very happy. And so I have sort of tricks that I can use as far as reinvigorating it. Um, so that might be like sending a bubble of CO2 through there to sort of rouse that colony of yeast and put it back in suspension, or I can manipulate it through temperature where I can sort of wake it up by um, increasing the temperature in there. And of course, all metabolic action uh, you know, happen a lot faster when the temperature increases, um, so that'll sort of wake the yeast back up, and then it'll even turn to some of its byproducts, um, other things like, uh, you know, diacetyl and acetaldehyde and stuff like that, and it'll actually begin metabolizing those waste byproducts into uh something else that is not so so unpleasant. Do you routinely
3: sample it and test it or? Every
2: day. Okay.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So a couple of years ago, my wife bought me a at-home brewing kit.
2: Yeah. Um, Those are great.
3: Yeah. And and I was so jazzed about doing it. I had friends in in Lubbock when I was a grad student who would brew. um, And I started reading the process and it was all great up until that point. It's like, okay, you've done all this work. Now you have to wait. I don't know how many weeks or months. Yeah, depending on the style. And you have to cellar.
2: Yeah, you have to cellar it. And I was
3: excited to make like czech-style pilsner and that's even
2: that's the longest that takes the the most and you have to have a kegerator
3: and all this stuff yes it's a very very expensive
2: hobby yeah (laughs) it's a fun fun hobby but it can get quite expensive pretty quickly
1: uh yeah and that kind of brings us a little bit like full circle right like so now we have these people that have mastered these crafts just like you right you're you're i'm, mastering. I'm
2: working on getting you're, there <laughs> well
1: i mean even doctors mds the best doctors in the world are still practicing sure so you're still yeah. practicing your your perfection and yeah
0: and I so the, the,
3: from what I've, I've learned here it's like it's a combination of science and art which yeah. is really oh cool. yeah yes it's a culinary art essentially but with a lot of science involved um yeah. which you don't see in in other
2: disciplines yeah so. you don't see those streams cross very often um I like to say that it sort of checks all the boxes for me. It's creatively demanding. It's intellectually demanding. It's physically demanding. I'm lifting a lot of things all day long. I'm squatting all day long, you know? Um, And I can't think of a lot of science jobs, especially that sort of have all of those components. And so for me, I feel like it's just, Perfect. I love it. I don't sit down all day. I feel challenged to constantly be coming up with new recipes and new formulas for things. And then, of course, just, uh, you know, being that observer and that documenter of these biological processes is it's always cool. And
3: you make people happy.
2: Yeah, it is sort sort of like a superpower. (laughs) What we're (laughs) commonly opening
3: it up with is there's nothing there's no greater institution in Texas than Texas barbecue and beer is, yeah, is
1: yeah. So oh well, no, that's the great thing. And 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 I'd like to finish out these last like five minutes or so we have with uh, your fond memories that you have, uh, especially with in Harry's t- Tanaha.
2: So like when I, I moved here at like the end of two thousand eight, and of course Harry's was like a cornerstone of my social life um, as a younger person without children, um, and. I remember being in there one night and uh like talking with Harry all night and there were all these bikers in there and this huge biker fight broke out and there were like chairs and tables <laughs> and like like you see in the movies It was wild. <laughs> Harry jumped into the middle of it, kicked everybody's butt, like just beat men down like with <laughs> chairs and shit. I was standing there shocked just like <gasps> and he's standing like after he's like kicked everybody out of his bar, which of course we've seen Harry, everybody's seen Harry kick people out of the bar, but, uh, he's standing there all puffed up and he just turns to me and grabs me up by the waist and kissed me on the mouth. <laughs> it was like, I got to beat these men up and then I got to kiss this woman. And that's like, yeah,
1: that, that, that's how you define masculinity right there. It was a moment like, like, like straight up out of a movie. Yeah. Ger- cool german Yeah. Yeah. That's that German, right?
2: Yeah. He was a badass man. He was definitely, he was definitely. I mean, yeah, we've def it's exactly like what he used to say is that everybody is welcome at least once. And that's what I loved about Harry is that he was sort of chivalrous to a degree and if he felt that somebody was out of hand, he would just tell them to get out and not come back. And then they weren't allowed to come back. I've seen people try and come back or beg Harry to let them back to the bar. And he would not relent, you know. <laughs> that's
1: good. And, hey, that's pride and discipline
3: right Yeah, he's a
2: great guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. What about you, Tom?
3: So my earliest memories of Harry go all the way back to the early 2000s when he ran what was called the Edelweiss, which now the, is now the Century, um, a glorious German food restaurant and a microbrewery. Um, so I, I, I knew Harry going all the way back then, but... Um, more recently coming back to Alpine as a professor, you know, Harry Stanaha is, and hopefully will continue to be, I don't know what its future is, but, um, is always a good place for, for us as professors to go and, and not see students because you don't want to go get sloshed and have a bunch of students <laughs> watching yeah. you act like a drunken degenerate. <laughs> so of course that, that ultimately resulted in, in the science nights being born. But, um, Just being a nice laid back place where we didn't have to worry about, about, you know, being responsible. Um, But my I think my story and Amy was was worried about her story being a little bit too PG. thirteen. Mine's (laughs) going to be rated R. Um, And um, I know Harry wouldn't care if I told this story. (laughs) uh, But Harry was a porn star. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh or at least from what he
3: told me um so on a couple of occasions me and sean and honor Bond got to hear some some really great stories about his early days back in germany and and being an adult film star oh my god <laughs> along with some great yeah. jokes and euphemisms um i'll leave it up to everyone's imagination but uh yeah we had some good times there we we closed the place a few times and yeah. just got yeah. to sit there and, and chat with harry
1: Well, that's a good segue into my um, story, because he taught me how to play cornhole. (laughs) (laughs) And I was wondering why he was so great at it. (laughs) I couldn't understand why he was so good at cornhole. But he was out there, and he was teaching me uh, to... Get get it in there right there every uh, time. I mean, golly, you know, I think I learned a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, from that one, you know, those few instances wherever uh, he He was a a master at his Every time. Every time he nailed it. Every time.
2: And I was amazed. And And, he was probably like real chill about it too. It was like, yeah, whatever.
1: It was like he wasn't even trying. It was yeah. just like part of, part of his being. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here, With a boat light in one hand to balance yeah, it out. Exactly. It yeah, goes. no, we had a great time out there. And uh, uh, he taught me cornhole. So, um, Harry, we love you. Know, Harry. you know,
2: yeah. Cheers, Harry. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Uh,
1: uh, even oh. even was the spirit <laughs> of uh, the spirit, right? Well, that's a great way to uh, end off. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we're going to see you next week with another great episode of Science Nights in the Morning thanks for listening to this episode of science nights in the morning be sure and follow us on patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes check out the latest science articles on our facebook page and subscribe to us on youtube and your favorite podcast listening app you can also listen every saturday at 10 a.m central standard time at bigbenradio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the morning with a K and we'll see you next time.